answer. Anything come out? Am I on? Am I on there? Can you hear me? Anyone hear me? Time to come through, is it? I think I can hear myself. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Great. If you could be having your attention back to the front, that would be wonderful. Uh, my name's Dan. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning. A special welcome if you're, if you're new, if you're visiting. Uh, I hope you've been made to feel very welcome. Please do stay around uh, at the end of the service. We're going to have tea and coffee again uh, out in the corridor. and We'd love to meet you, so do stay around and say hello. Um, if you've been with us uh, for the past few months, you know that we've been heading through the series of uh, Ephesians. And we're in the final chapter I don't know whether you're like me and sort of when you're doing a book, you think, how are we still on Ephesians? But we're getting towards the end of the, the book, we're in the final chapter, and, but we're actually, as Lauren said, we've got some uh, Christmas services, so it means we're actually taking a break after this week. We're going to get really close to the line, and then we're going to say, now you've got to wait till January. Uh, so, but December is a great chance. So many people are open to coming to church who wouldn't normally. They think, well, it's Christmas, of course I'll go. And we're going to have a Christmas uh, a set up. It's going to look really Christmassy. Uh, and we're just going to have some amazing services, which are just going to be really accessible for people who wouldn't normally come to church. So please do invite people. And then in January, I promise you, we'll be back in Ephesians and we'll finish it. Okay. Uh, if you've been with us, you'll know that Ephesians, although we say the book of Ephesians, it's actually a, a letter and it's found in the New Testament of the Bible. And it is written by Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding region. And, and Paul is trying to help this new group of believers understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've called this series uh, Identity, as because what we've been looking at is how do we embrace our identity as believers in Jesus? That although we get this new identity when we become Christians, actually we spend a lifetime working out what it means. Um, over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the, just some really practical things about what does being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, mean for relationships. You remember two weeks ago, uh, Mark spoke on marriage, what it means for husbands and wives. And then last week, Alison spoke on parents. What does it mean for, for children and parents? So it's all about how do you conduct your relationships. And today we move on to verse 5 of chapter 6. Um, if you've got your Bibles, then turn to it, or your phone, however you read it. If it's it's going to come up on the screen, and Ben is going to read it to us. So this is Ephesians 6, 5-9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thanks, Ben. Shall we pray and then we're going to get into this passage? Yeah, Father God, we come uh, before you knowing that we need, we need you. We need your instruction to live uh, a life of, of obedience to you. And Lord, we just pray that as we look at these 
uh, scriptures, we look at these words that Paul has written down. I just pray you will be speaking uh, into our hearts. You will be changing us. May no one who walks into this through this door this morning leave uh, unchanged by you. So we just ask that we'd have uh, ears ready to hear you and, and hearts ready to receive you afresh this morning. Amen. At Jubilee, we uh, believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That it is the way, the primary way that God chooses to reveal himself and speak to his people. Uh, and at times at Jubilee, the way we approach the Bible is we might take a theme and we might look at what does the Bible say about a theme? Um, how does this help us live our lives as followers of Jesus? But the majority of the time, we like to take a book of the Bible and we want to look at a chunk of it and go through it. And we want to look at what has the author written? Why has he written it? What is he trying to reveal to us about God? And what is God saying to us in Hull in 2018? And doing it this way means that as we read through the Bible, there'll be some passages that you get to where you're really excited. You're like, oh, I love this passage. And then you might get to other parts that you think, what on earth is that about? And, uh, and we get to slaves. And I don't know if anyone reads about slaves and goes, yes, I'm so excited about preaching on slavery. Um, but you know what? It, what it, the way we take those passages, the way we read through the Bible, it's so we don't just miss out when we get to passages that we don't understand or we get a little bit confused. We don't just, we just, don't just jump a passage and think we'll find the next bit which we think is relevant because we believe the whole Bible is the way God speaks to us. And so we get to this passage and it talks about slaves. And if you're anything like me, um, right now you might be thinking, great, this doesn't apply to me. Now, if you're honest, you might be thinking, I've got a few minutes, I can daydream about my lunch, or I can daydream about, the, uh, make a list in my head of all the jobs I've got to do, or you might even be on your phone already updating Facebook, saying what amazing worship it was, or watching videos of cats doing silly things. Not that any of you would do that. But what I want us to encourage us to do is that this is to engage with this passage. We don't, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult passage, but I believe that as we see what God is saying, it will change the way we live. That God wants to speak to us about how we live out the truth of what God and Jesus has done for us. But be so before we get to this passage, I want to help us understand why Paul is addressing slaves. And more importantly, why is Paul saying, do you want to just flick the passage back up? Thank you. Why Paul is saying, slaves obey your earthly masters. Surely what Paul should be saying is, masters don't have slaves anymore. Or maybe he should be saying, slaves, you are free to walk away from your masters. And, and the reason we might uh, respond like that is because of the images that come to mind when we think of the word slave. You might think of the slave depicted in the film, 12 Years a Slave. You might think of the, uh, the awful practice of slavery over the years where people have been taken from their homes and sold into slavery. You might think of the slavery that, that our very own William Wilberforce worked to abolish in 1833. You might think of the slavery that still happens today. I was looking at some stats and £116 billion is made every year through the slave trade. 2017 figures that was. 24.9 million people across the world are experiencing slavery today through forced labor, through sexual exploitation, through domestic service, and 10 million of those are children. Like you should hear those stats and it should hurt us to the very core. Our response should absolutely be to condemn and speak out against such practices. We should, as William Wilberforce was, be the voice for those without one. 
Uh, the, the numbers are overwhelming, 24.9 million. But there is this inbuilt desire in us for the kingdom of God to come on earth. And part of God's kingdom coming here is there is a time when there is no slavery. But in the meantime, we must fight for the oppressed and for those who are victims of such awful crimes. And you know what? One person in slavery is too many. It's a massive topic to cover, and it would take me away from the passage. Uh, so I'm not going to be covering it anymore. But it is our responsibility to consider how our practices either support freedom or support slavery. The shops we buy from, the, the clothes we wear, the places that we visit. There is this great Christian charity called uh, Hope for Justice. And, and they, they exist to see an end to modern day slavery. And I would encourage you this week, if you can get online, get on their website. Um, hopeforjustice.org and you can respond to uh, they, they just give us some really helpful ways about how we can respond to it how we can respond to slavery as followers of Jesus maybe in your growth groups you could discuss this week what our response to slavery should be however when we get to this passage Paul is speaking to a very different time and a very different context slaves or your bible might say bond servants they were a common play, common thing to have at the time Paul was writing People might enter slavery involuntary through either uh, the, the family they were born into or because they were captured in battle or because of a crime, but they might also enter slavery voluntarily, either to escape poverty or to pay off a debt. And in the city that Paul is writing to, Ephesus, it's estimated about a third of the people in that city were what they would class as slaves. I can't uh, draw parallels to our time now, but what that means is that, the, that they were an integral part of the family unit. Although they, were, although they were bound to serve their master, they could own property, they could have social status, they could even be released or purchase their own freedom. You know, these are not slaves bound by shackles, but they are an integral part of the family unit. So it makes sense that Paul is addressing slaves in the same passage that he is addressing husbands and wives and parents and children. Slaves were a normal part of the community, but that doesn't mean it is right. Slaves had limited rights and they would often be subjected to exploitation and abuse. Paul is not saying that the practice is right, but he is instead, instead giving slaves and masters, those who would become Christians, instructions about how do you now become a follower of Jesus and how do, what does this mean for your status? Can you imagine this church where suddenly you had slaves and masters in the same community? Suddenly they were seen as equal. And Paul is trying to help them work out how this, how this, what this results in for them. What is the application for them in their relationship? Paul in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one with Christ. What Paul is calling the church to is this radical change in the way that they live but he is still aware of the social and the legal uh, culture around them. And Paul, over time, he starts to challenge this culture and what it means as followers of Jesus. But it is a process, and it means that although right now in this passage that we're reading, he doesn't outrightly condemn it, but he does give them some really practical instructions about how their relationships should be lived out in a light of what Jesus has done for them. And this process that we see uh, is, is best uh, demonstrated in the book of Philemon. This is a, in this letter, Paul writes to Philemon, who is this um, wealthy Christian who has lived in the city of Colossae, which is now modern-day southwest Turkey. 
And during Paul's ministry, Philemon has uh, heard the gospel. He's become a follower of Jesus. And now he has opened up his home to the local community. And now, regularly, Christians meet. One of his servants, Onesimus, has escaped, possibly due to stealing some money, and he has fled to Rome. While Onesimus was in Rome, he meets Paul, and he also becomes a Christian. Paul knows that there is unfinished business in Colossae for Onesimus, so he sends him back to Philemon. But in his letter, he writes this. This is Paul writing to Philemon. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have keep him with me so that he could take his, your place in helping me while I am in chains for Christ. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would, it would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he is separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If, you have done, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Here, Paul is spelling out God's intention for those in slavery. That they would be welcomed in, no longer as slaves, but as brothers. Becoming one new man that we looked at in Ephesians 2. And this passage, as I said, forms a, a three-part message that Paul is trying to communicate with the new believers. And it is all about how do we submit to one another in response to what Jesus has done. The, that the key to godly relationships is service and submission. Husbands and wives, parents and children, and now slaves and masters. Slaves would naturally despise their earthly masters because of the way they were treated and the authority that they had. Masters would naturally despise their slaves because of their lowly position. But in Christ... Our relationships change. No longer do we approach relationships with this earthly mindset, but instead we should work for unity and serve the Lord in all that we do. And this is where it becomes relevant for us. Because although Paul is speaking to slaves and masters, he could be speaking to any relationship which involves authority. He's speaking about mutual submission in marriage in Ephesus, but the principle applies for us now. He is speaking about mutual submission in parenting in Ephesus, but the principles apply for us now. And the same is the case for the mutual submission he is talking about with slaves and masters. It is about this relationship we, that we have with those in authority. And immediately what can come into our minds when we think about um, those relationships, those in authority, we might think of our workplaces. Because you know when people talk, I don't know about you, but when you hear people talk about work, it can sound like they're talking about slavery. Has anyone ever felt like a slave at work? Um, the great theologian, uh, Dolly Parton, um, that's a joke by the way, she said in her famous song, Nine to Five, just listen to these words, I'm not going to sing it. Nine to Five, yeah they got you where they want you, there's a better life and you think about it don't you. It's a rich man's game, no matter what they call it, and you spend your life putting money in his wallet. Doesn't that sound like slavery? Working for someone else. But as soon as we jump straight to the application for work, then the danger is that you start to switch off. Because I am aware that for people here, the idea of mutual submission in the workplace creates a number of objections or get-out clauses. You might say, well, if you're going to talk about work, I'm, I'm unemployed. 
or I'm retired, or my boss is a bully, or I hate my job, or my work is meaningless. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is I want to give us a picture of work, but not as we know it, but at work as God intended. And no matter if God has blessed you with employment or not, whether you are wanting a job, whether you are frustrated by your job, whether you love your job, whether you have retired from your job, God has a plan for you and work for you to do. You see, we see work right back in creation. God creates man and woman and he puts them in a garden. And it, say, God, it says this in Genesis uh, 1.15. Uh, sorry, Genesis 2. The Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God's intention was that we would work. God is a creator and we are made in his image. So we are called to work and create. However, what happens is that we rebel and what we, the result of that is that part of the punishment for our rebellion is now we will find work hard. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. This is what God says to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Though painful toil, you will eat food from it all of your days. It will produce fawns and thistles for you, and it will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You want to know why we struggle with the idea of work? Do you want to know why sometimes the dream is to earn enough to take early retirement and spend your days either on a beach or a golf course? Want to know why we try to actively avoid work for as long as possible? The answer is in this passage. Work is no longer as God intended. The dream, therefore, is not a world of no work, but instead it is a, a world where we redeem work and we work as God intended. I'm not talking about trying to find a job that satisfies you. I'm not talking about trying to find a job that you find rewarding or deem spiritual enough. No, in response to all that Christ has done for us, we now work for him. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. The rebellion which brought the curse on work resulted in far, something far greater than us and just not enjoying work. It resulted in this barrier being placed between us and God and our relationships in ruins. Heading for death as a punishment, God's own son comes to earth and he lives the perfect life and sacrifices for us. He comes to earth and he works. He shows ultimate obedience in his work, going to the cross so that we could receive forgiveness, that we could get this relationship with God restored again. He becomes what the Bible uses the term Emmanuel, which is God with us. And that means that we will still work. We will still find it hard at times. We will still find it unfulfilling, but we look to a moment which is coming when everything is restored back to how God intended. And in the meantime, it means that we have God with us in our difficulties. God is Emmanuel when you are in the disciplinary meeting at work. 
God is Emmanuel as you celebrate a promotion or a new job. God is Emmanuel as you are at the job center waiting to sign off. God is Emmanuel as you uh, spend, work multiple jobs just to pay the bills. God is Emmanuel as you look after children or grandchildren. God is Emmanuel as uh, when you are bullied in your workplace. God is Emmanuel as you search for meaning after retirement. God is with us and he is working out his plan when one day we will experience eternity and we will work as God intended and we will find complete satisfaction. Complete satisfaction in all we do. That's good news. You can smile. What a moment. But right now as we live in Hull in 2018, we don't feel like it. So we must have this eye on eternity. We must live with this reality in our hearts of what is to come. But then out of that reality, it must cause a response. We meet Jesus. We experience his love and his grace into our lives. And when that happens, everything changes. Our motivation for living changes. And our motivation for working changes. Amongst my friends and, and when I worked in the NHS, amongst my colleagues, there was this attitude of that I just work so that I can live. I just work so I can get enough money to enjoy life. Now what enjoying life looked like varied between people. For some it meant spending their money on home improvements. For others it meant holidays. For some it just meant getting through the week so you can spend a weekend partying before you go back to work on the Monday. I'm not criticising those choices but that's a worldly view and it's not the view that God has for us it's not the way God wants us to view work and that means that we are called to live not to that means that we we live to work not the other way around that means we we don't it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy rest it doesn't mean that we don't have holidays or time away from work, and I'm going to touch on that soon. But primarily, we live to work. God gave us six days to work and a Sabbath. We live to work. Our, our, this is a mindset that is radically different from those around us, but it's a mindset that we must have as believers. And Paul is speaking to slaves and masters. And he is talking about the radical change that we are to see. And, he is, and the radical approach to work, could, we could look at it from two perspectives. Firstly, how do we relate to those in authority? And how do we relate to those who serve us? So firstly, what does it look like as we relate to those in authority? Well, firstly, it looks like obedience. Just pop up the Bible verse, please. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when, your eyes, when the eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Here, Paul calls us to show obedience to those in authority. We are now citizens of heaven. That is our identity. But while we are on earth, we have responsibilities to the place that we live. Romans 13, 1-2 covers this. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
All authority has been established by God. We don't always understand why, but we can trust him. Obedience to authorities will look different depending on where you live, but for us in the UK, it means the government. It means the police. It means our boss. As Christians, we must submit to those in lawful authority. Not just grudgingly obeying, but obeying willingly. And the only, obse- uh, the only exception to this obedience that we find in the Bible is when obedience to authority would require a believer to disobey God's word or to compromise our commitment to Christ. We see this in action in the book of Daniel. There's three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are ordered to bow down and worship this golden statue. And their response is found in Daniel 3. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does... Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Never a compromise, never sin, but willingly obey those in authority. The second way we do it is through our commitment. Verse 7 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Romans 12 tells us that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That every area of our lives is worship to God if we choose it to be. Paul says here that when we serve, we are to do it wholeheartedly. Other words we could use are passionately or enthusiastically or totally. There is this sense that we are to give our all because ultimately we are serving God through our work. Do we treat our work as worship? Worship by giving your all up to the project at work even if you missed out on the promotion. Giving your all in worship by going the extra mile and staying late to help someone with their work, even though they will, you know they're going to take the credit. Worshipping by doing the jobs that no one else wants to when you're serving in the life of the church. Worshipping by putting your all into house chores, even though you know that your family won't notice or thank you when they get home. In a world that is increasingly self-centered, this is a radical way to live. It is constantly giving up our own desires to serve others. And thirdly, we submit to those those in authority through our desires. So often we work to try and attain more and more. If I can just get the next job, if I can just get the pay rise, if I can just get that qualification. Now there is absolutely nothing wrong with having dreams and aspirations. But our desires must line up with God's purposes for us. I have things that I believe God has called me to, but what God has not called me to do is to chase dreams, but instead steward the things that he has given me. Verse eight, Paul says, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether they are slave or free. The rewards Paul is speaking of here, it's not pay rises, it's not nice holidays, it's not loads of items. Instead, it is these heavenly treasures that we store up for ourselves through the way that we obey God now. And that means all the rewards that we would get in the workplace, they pale into into, into significance when we look at eternity. When I open my my pay packet, 
It pales into insignificance when I look at eternity. When we go on holiday or we browse whatever it is that you're looking at through the catalogue or the shop window, it pales into insignificance compared to eternity. And that means that if we don't get affirmation from those around us, we don't need it because we have it from our Heavenly Father. That means that when we don't get a well done or a thank you, God sees. That means that when we get rejected from, the, from a job, we don't get our identity from those who are interviewing us because we know what God thinks about us. That means that we can rest and we can understand that God is in control. We can turn off our emails. We can clear our desk and leave on time. We can leave the house a mess for the evening. And we can relax. Because we know that when we rest, the world keeps on spinning and God stays in control. And then Paul moves on to the final verse in verse 9. And he turns his instructions towards masters and says in, from verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he, is, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What does it look like in practice to, to relate to those who serve us? It looks like service. In a time when slaves had no rights and could be exploited, Paul was calling masters to avoid this temptation to use power to abuse but instead was calling them to serve. And we all have people who serve us. For some of us, we are managers and we have staff who look to us. For some of us, we are in organizations where the decisions we make directly affect many people. For others, we have staff on lower pay scales who, who around us. And for all of us, we are served every day. This morning, as I got on the bus, I was served by the bus driver. As I went to Tesco, I was served by the staff there. As I came into church, I was served by our wonderful welcome team. Do we use our perceived authority to crush with our requests, our actions, or our words? Or do we look to serve those around us? If you manage people, how do you speak to them? Do you show an interest in who they are, or do you just care about what they can do for you? Do you have a sense of entitlement towards those who serve you? Or do you treat them as Christ would? I'm always interested to go to coffee shops with people from church. Because I just want to see how they relate to the person behind the counter. How they treat them. You're all going to get nervous if I invite you out for coffee. We do well. It's so nice. I, I was having coffee with Lee last week. And the staff all know him in Costa, which worried me. <laughs> But just to see him being Christ-like to the staff behind the counter. They, just to see the way they relate, it's not demanding. It's Christ-like. It's loving. It's caring. It's asking them how they are. Do we do that in the relationships to those who serve us? Because as we go about our daily lives, in whatever work you do, in whatever capacity that that might be, we invite God, Emmanuel, to be with us. Because you might not see the link between your faith and what you do during the week. Or you may be tempted to put God in a box and limit him to weekends or prayer meetings. You might leave God out of your workplace, your home activities or your studies. You may be tempted to think that God is not interested in your job or when you sign on. Or helping you make a difference in the community or your home. 
But he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he wants to be the centre of all that we do. He wants to be the centre of our lives. Recently, I was reading about uh, a guy called Emmanuel, uh, sorry, Abraham Kuyper. He was a, a Dutch pastor. And he left church leadership to become the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. That's not why Steve's not here today. <laughs> he is in the Netherlands, but he's speaking at a church there. Um, but he explained when, why he made this decision. Why would he leave church leadership to go into the world of work and to become a Prime Minister? And he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain or our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every area of life, God is calling us to obedience. In your workplace, when you think, why am I doing this job? In your home, when you're just fed up of it, fed up of just working Nine to five, nine to five, nine to five. Fed up of working really hard and seemingly having nothing left at the end of the month. When you get that disappointment, when you get that job rejection, when you sit in that job center queue and you see the same person again and again, when it seems like there is no hope, over all of that, Christ cries, mine. God is with us and he is for us. He created all things and he is working to see his creation renewed. He wants to use you and I to bring about transformation in the places that we go, in the people that we speak to, in the jobs that we do, in the people that we serve, in whatever role that we have. Christ wants to use you and I to demonstrate the all of creation. He says, mine. And I just want to invite the band back. Because what I wanted to do is, as we reflect, in response, what we're going to do is we're going to take what uh, is called the Lord's Supper. As we remember what Christ's done, we've got bread and we've got uh, juice down at the front. And what we're going to do, and Andrew's going to explain that in a moment, uh, is we're going to take that. And what we're doing is that we are remembering who Christ is and what he has done for us. And as we do that, what we are remembering is that God came down as man. He lived, he worked, he died on our behalf. But then he rose again. And today and tomorrow when you, a new week begins and you go back to whatever your work is. And then forever, God is Emmanuel. God is with us. And as we do that, what I want you to consider, as you walk down, as you walk back, I want you to consider what does it mean for God to be with me in whatever circumstance I'm walking back into tomorrow? What, and what does it mean for me to approach whatever work God has called me to? Please don't hear employment. Whatever work God has called me to, what does it mean this week to work for him? So Andrew's going to explain what we're going to do. Okay, if, if I could ask the uh, youth to just come and uh, help. I think you've been <laughs> primed in terms of just uh, 
helping with the, the communion this morning. I just wanted to, uh, just to reinforce a couple of things that uh, Dan has said this morning. I'd li just like to read this morning about the, the words which Jesus used in the Bible, which really just says what uh, Dan's just said, so it just proves he's not making it up. I'm sure you didn't believe that anyway, but it, it's really important. And uh, um, so these are words from 1 Corinthians 11. Um, there's another table, if we could just put that in the middle as well, please, and just, um, guys by the door, thanks. Um, so 1 Corinthians 11, it says, um, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember something that Jesus did for us by dying on the cross. And then we look forward to the hope that we have. So can we just perhaps bow our heads, um, just take a moment to reflect and just come before the Lord, think about what Dan has been saying, and then uh, after a few minutes, the band will play quietly in the background, just come forward and receive the bread and the wine, and just spend a few minutes reflecting with the Lord, just you and yourselves. thank you for what you did for us on the cross we thank you for dying and taking away our sins Lord we thank you that we need not fear death because of what you accomplished on the cross we thank you for the hope that that gives us through your resurrection Father God we just thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us and Lord as we take on board that we pray Lord that everything that Jesus has done for us will be reflected in the, in the way that we live our li lives day by day. Father God, as we share this bread, as we share this, this juice together, may it just be an opportunity just to recommit ourselves to you, just to say, yes, Lord, I'm for you. I will do this because I love you. Please do come forward as you feel led. between us how high the mountains 
spoken I am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever Jesus Christ my living Lord. hallelujah Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, the salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah. Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. Yeah, let's just just praise. Let's just clap. Father God, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the the promises that he's given to us. We thank you for the the hope of salvation. We thank you that today we can celebrate because Jesus has died and he's risen. We we worship a a risen Christ. We worship a risen Savior. And we just lift you up this morning. Lord, we just praise you and worship you. There is none like you. And we're just so privileged to be called your children. Lord, this morning, even as Dan has spoken, Lord, we commit ourselves to you again. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity in sharing bread and wine, or bread and juice. And Father God, we just want to lift up your name because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. Let's just um, sing that song again. And perhaps as we're singing, can the parents please go and uh, collect your children if they're not already down? I think some of them have, have come down. 
Can we just sing that? And I think we'll, we'll finish soon after that. Yeah. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. The salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living Hallelujah. The one who set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. As you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Jesus Christ, So that um, brings us to the end of this morning, the service this morning. Thank you so much for coming. Do have a great week. Um, I'm sure the, the prayer team will be available at the front for anybody who would like prayer this morning. So please do come forward. Um, we have finished a few minutes early, so please stay.